How many of you guys know that whether it's just life in general or when it comes to truth about the Bible, that there should be a connection between knowledge and action, between what we hear and know and how we live. Real practical example of this, Randy and Brenda got Wisconsin roots, so they were super excited when Culver's came to Prescott Valley. They told us about Culver's. I'm telling you, if you want a mixer, a concrete mixer, ice cream with toppings mixed in, that is the place to go. They've got me and Carolyn hooked. Now, this week I was there with my boy Jaden, got the caramel peanut butter cup, added peanut butter and, and more peanut butter cups, took her home the salted caramel pumpkin concrete mixer with pecans. Oh. Now, while I was there, I saw something. I saw that if you go in there any evening after 8 o'clock, It's buy one, get one free on their concrete mixers. That's good knowledge to have. But guess what? We we haven't gone down there after 8 o'clock yet. In order to take advantage of that knowledge, we've got to get in the car and get down there, take advantage of that, right? Same with all of life, same when it comes to Scripture. You see, what we learn about God is not destined by God to stay up here. It's designed to be played out in our words and our actions. Would you agree with that? So I 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Scripture is given to us to train us in righteousness, and that's not simply a mental exercise. That's a living, breathing kind of exercise. Do you guys know the technical word for what we believe about God or think about God? The study of God? Theology. Absolutely. Theology. Now, theology sometimes gets a bad rap because we we picture these ivory tower uh, professors who we could never relate to sitting up there studying their Bibles and they're in their study all week long. That's, that's a wrong picture of theology based on what we just said. Theology ought to impact life. Bert Wagner said that uh, there are several reasons why theology is so important. And I just want to share a couple of them with you this morning. Uh, one, he says, it provides us with the answers to life's questions regarding meaning in life. How many of you ever have these questions? Who am I? What am I doing here? And where am I going? You want to answer those questions, it's going to take some theology. Theology tells us not just what the Bible says, but also what it means. He shares a quote from a man named Bruce Shelley. The church, if it is to be true, must preach the word. If it is to be relevant, it must speak to the times. Christian theology is the blending of the changeless, God's word, with the changing, our culture. Number three, theology helps us recognize God, not simply in some situations, but in the center of every situation. See, if you're truly theological, you bring truth about God into every moment of your life. Four, it's vital to spirituality. Listen to this. Devotion to Jesus cannot long maintain itself apart from theological fidelity. You know, without sound theology, you'll quickly wander away. From Jesus. 
truth without life is hypocritical. Life without truth becomes this wishy-washy, meandering path. Number five, theology makes us more or less articulate in our experience of God's multifaceted grace. He does not wait until we have all knowledge before giving us grace, but we learn to articulate his grace through theology. He helps us express what he's doing in our lives. It puts wonder in our hearts when we worship. Do you know that? What we know about God ought to cause us to be in awe. That's why we sing. That's why we're going to spend time singing at the end of this service. Hebrews 12 says this, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, that's theological truth, right? That's what we've been seeing in Daniel. We're going to get there in a moment. Since we're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, here's the response. Let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe so that the the two parts of our service this morning aren't really two separate parts. As we sing, as we go out of here and live our lives in obedience, it's in response to the theological truth. And lastly, he says, to be truly spiritual is to be theological. Listen to this quote from Eugene Peterson. The two terms spiritual and theology, excuse me, keep good company with one another. Theology is the attention that we give to God, the effort we give to knowing God as revealed in the Holy Scriptures and in Jesus Christ. Spiritual is the insistence that everything that God reveals of himself and his works is capable of being lived by ordinary men and women in their homes and workplaces. Spiritual keeps theology from degenerating into merely thinking and talking and writing about God at a distance. Theology keeps spiritual from becoming merely thinking and talking and writing about the feelings and thoughts one has about God. The two words need each other. For we know how easy it is for us to let our study of God get separated from the way we live. How many of us know that? We've had weeks and months and years of our lives where there's a total disconnect between what we hear on Sunday, what we read in his word, and and how we're living. That's possible for us to get there. We also know how easy it is to let our desires to live whole and satisfying lives get disconnected from who God actually is and the ways he works among us. I thought those were good thoughts. Some of us, if you're like me, connect better with stories, and you may have heard this one from Francis Chan. This brings it home in a slightly humorous way. He says, you know, I've got a little girl at home. And when I want her to do something like clean her room and I tell her, I'd like you to go clean her room, you know what I don't expect from her? I don't expect her to hear me say, clean your room and say, you know what? I'm going to go study what clean your room means in Hebrew and Greek. I'm going to spend eight weeks breaking down what clean your room. How, how do you translate in the Hebrew or Greek? He, doesn't, he said, I don't expect her to start a small group for 10 weeks to study what it means to, to clean her room. <laughs> He said, I, I want her to clean her room. There's nothing wrong with, with small groups and teaching. That's, that's foundational, but you see where he's going. When God says things in his word about who he is, when he tells us to make disciples in our world, he doesn't want us to just learn it. He wants us to live it. And that's why all through this book, uh, we've had the theme, Because God, I Will. We've been through six chapters of Daniel so far, and in each chapter we've learned something about God. That's the because God. And we've learned how it impacted Daniel and his friends' lives, how it should impact ours. That is the 
I will. So what we want to do this morning is get the, the big picture of where we've been before we prepare to launch into the second half. Because this first half was all Daniel's past and present. He lived it out. The second half was stuff that God would tell him about the future. And you'll hear at the end how those two are related. But you can, you can faintly see right here. Do you guys see the rainbow there? It's a little bit faint. Carolyn took this picture this week. There's, this past couple weeks, there have been some beautiful sunsets and rainbows. Love monsoon season here. The reason I got this picture up there is Carolyn could not fit all that into her camera. And so what she did on her iPhone is got into panorama mode. And if you've ever used that, you start at one side of a, what you're taking a picture of and you go like this, and then it converts it into one picture. That's how she was able to get the entire rainbow that was visible outside her house. She got the panorama, the, the wide angle view. And I share that just to say, one, God's awesome. But two, that's what we're going to do as we look at where we've been in Daniel so far. We've been zooming in on each chapter. You could consider each one of those maybe a single meal. Today we're going to look at the buffet, okay? And if you're like me, when you go to a buffet, you usually don't take everything. You get, might get close if you're like me, but you, you take some, and that's kind of my hope. As we look at where we've been in, in the book of Daniel so far, my hope is that God will lay one or two or three things on each of our hearts for us to, to carry out and uh, to listen to what he has to say to us about life. So what I want to do first is show you where we've been. You guys remember these? Chapter 1, because God is my Father, I'll trust he is for me, even in the dark. Because God knows everything, that's chapter 2, I'll turn to him first for wisdom. Chapter 3, because God is all-powerful, I will worship him only. Chapter 4, because God is sovereign, I will live with humility Chapter 5, because God is holy, I will live with reverence for him. And because God hears me, chapter 6, I will live a life of prayer. What I hope to do this morning in this next section is just look at each chapter in review for just three or four minutes. And I want you to be asking God, God, which of these are you working to grow me in? Is, is it that the Holy Spirit wants to work in my life uh, to be more humble? Is it that he would like me to develop a more perseverance in my life of prayer. Where are you speaking to me, God? And we're going to jump right in. Uh, chapter one, and what we're going to look at in each chapter is first what the passage told us about God. And obviously we're not going to unpack everything. Okay. We'd be here all week. And then we're going to look at the impact it had on the people in the chapter and what that has to do with us. But you guys will remember chapter one, the themes up there, Daniel and his people have been taken captive it was a dark time. They've been taken to Babylon. And you could imagine being one of God's people wondering, is God giving up on us? Has he left us? Is he done with us? And, and we said no. One of the truths we learned about God was this was not just some random act by Nebuchadnezzar. God was in control of history. Chapter 1, verse 1 and 2 had said, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. That's man's view of history, and it's true, but there's a deeper truth. Verse 2 said, the Lord delivered the king of Judah into Nebuchadnezzar's hand. God controls history. It gives us a confidence that whatever is going on, God is in control. Now, what impact did that have on, on Daniel and his friends and the other people? 
Well, chapter 1, verse 9 and 15 and 16, we see that God gave favor to his people, even in captivity. He validated them. You remember Daniel and his friends? They didn't want to eat the king's food because it violated God's law. So Daniel said, just give us vegetables. But the official was nervous to do that because he was afraid their health would decline. But chapter 1, verse 9 said, God caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. Even in captivity, God was working on their behalf to validate them and give them favor. Verse 15 and 16 said, at the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better, nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. How many of you know that the truth for that is, as we go out about our lives following God in a context that's often very much opposed to that, he can cause people around us to give us favor. He can cause our lives and our obedience to be validated. He gave knowledge and understanding to his children. How many of you feel like you could use a little knowledge and understanding? Look at this. You remember they're studying in Babylon. In verse 17, it said, To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. That wasn't just because they studied hard. God was with his children. He gave them that knowledge and understanding. And James 1.5 tells us, New Testament kids of God, hey, if any of you lacks wisdom, ask him. As long as you don't doubt, he'll give it to you. He'll give you that wisdom. He also provided his word and watch care to his children. Verse 21 of that chapter says, Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. And you say, what does Daniel being there till the reign of King Cyrus have to do with God's word and watch care? Well, Daniel was there as God's spokesman. God was working in Daniel's life and giving Daniel the words of this book, not just so that you and I could hear it today, thousands of years later. It was so his people would know, hey, I put Daniel there. And not just for a little bit. He was there the whole time until the last king before they were sent back to Jerusalem. Some 70 years. He said, I'm still with you. If you watch Daniel's life, I care for him. I care for you. And I'm giving you my word through him to show you I love you. I am not done with you. And you think about that watch care in our lives. You think about what he says in Hebrews. I will never leave you nor forsake you. What a, what a powerful chapter that was. So we could ask ourselves, God, do I really believe you're with me even in the dark seasons of our lives? Chapter two, because God knows everything, I will turn to him first for wisdom. You remember the impossible situation in this chapter, right? Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. So he calls all his wise men in and says, I don't want you to just tell me what my dream means. I want you to tell me what my dream was. And if you don't, you're all going to die. Talk about an impossible situation, right? Humanly speaking. But you remember what happened. God told Daniel what the dream was. And there's a couple truths about God that we learned in this chapter. We're just going to read through them and then we'll look at where we get them. Wisdom and power are his. He deposes kings and raises up others. How much does that help us in such uncertain times in our world today? With all the talk about ISIS and our orders and everything, we know that it is God who's in control of history. He decides who will rise up and who will fall. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness. And we get all these from Daniel chapter 2, 
starting at verse 20. After Daniel had asked God to show him what the dream was, Daniel, starting in verse 20, says he praised the God of heaven, said, praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You've made known to us the dream of the king. What a beautiful prayer of praise. Truths about God that not only impacted Daniel, but impact us. We see the way it impacted him and his children today, right? Wisdom and power were given to Daniel. Verse 27, Daniel told Nebuchadnezzar, no wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. Daniel's like, this is not me. God gave me this wisdom and this power. We talked about the wisdom already in the life of believers today. What about the power? Didn't Paul write to Timothy, God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power. God gives power today. Who needs some power for the situations you find yourself in? God gives power to his children. And here's a common theme you'll see in many of these chapters. The impact on people when they saw what God did was they praised him. And some of the people that praised God weren't even believers. They just saw what God did. And like we read in the New Testament, every knee shall bow. There are moments where God shows up where no one can deny. And they just have to spit out what's true. Nebuchadnezzar, this unbelieving king, as far as we know, we, we, we know he saw glimpses of God, but he kept going back to his own ways. The king said to Daniel, surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings in a revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. He still said, this is your God, Daniel, but I see some things about him that are pretty cool. Maybe I should add them to my repertoire of, of gods. He didn't totally get it, but he saw some stuff. And also, another running theme throughout this book, his children are rescued and promoted. Remember, they're on the brink of death, right? End of the chapter, verse 48 said, then the king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him. Talk about a turnaround. <laughs> he made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all its wise men. Moreover, at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego administrators over the province of Babylon, while Daniel himself remained at the royal court. God can still do that in our lives in this world today. He doesn't always choose to rescue in this life. He doesn't always choose to promote in this life. But when we look at things from an eternal perspective, we know what Paul says. He has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness. And he's promoted us if we believe in Jesus. He says we're seated in Christ at the right hand of God. That's now our identity. It's in Christ. He rescues and promotes his children today. Chapter 3. Because God is all-powerful, I'll worship him only. All we need to say to summarize this chapter is Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and the fiery furnace. We know the story, right? But some things jump out at us. Chapter 3, verse 17. He is able to deliver. 
3.18. He is worthy of following even if he does not. Verse 28, he can send angels to rescue his servants. You know, Hebrews chapter one says that God sends angels to ministers to his people. That's not just an Old Testament deal. There's still that battle going on. They still work on our behalf. So here's the impact those truths had on people. It it evoked courageous trust in those three young men. You remember what they said in 16 to 18. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. You talk about courageous trust. And you look at the New Testament, we look at the fact that the Holy Spirit comes inside of God's children and enables us, as Paul says, to walk by faith, not by sight. I don't know what you're walking through today, but we have the same ability to walk in faith in what God has said as these young men. Here we go again, they praise God, recurring theme. You start to get the idea that God's praise and glory are a big deal to them because you're gonna see it keep coming up. Verse 28, it's Nebuchadnezzar again. Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any God except their own God. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces. He saw God at work again. These men who had defied his order and were saved, and he had, he had to praise God. And again, his children are rescued and promoted. You know the story, but you can't hear it too much. Verse 24, King Nebuchadnezzar leapt to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, come out, come here. They came out of the fire. The officials saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. And the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. What's that? Trial by fire. There you go. You can bet that's where that phrase came from, huh? This was a trial by fire, and they they shined. Their faith was there. Whether you deliver us or not, we will follow you. Chapter 4, because God is sovereign, I will live with humility. You guys remember, this is when Pastor John was, was with us. And, and he read through chapter four, the story of how Nebuchadnezzar looked out over his empire, said, look at all these things that I've made for my glory. And God told him, you better humble yourself. I choose who gets the glory, you don't. And Nebuchadnezzar didn't. We know the, the end of the story. He, he was turned like an animal to where he ate grass for seven years. 
out in the fields. And it wasn't until he acknowledged God as the ultimate God that he was again lifted up. The point was, because God is sovereign, I will live with humility. He learned some things, that, that God is the most high, that God's signs are great, that his kingdom is eternal. Nebuchadnezzar actually wrote part of this chapter. He starts it out by writing, To the nations and peoples of every language who live in all the earth, may you prosper greatly. It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. Nebuchadnezzar learned that God does whatever he wants. He does as he pleases, and everything he does is right. And we know from the chapter that the humble are promoted. You see Daniel again in in this chief role. Nebuchadnezzar says in verse 9, I said, Belteshazzar, that was the other name for Daniel, chief of the magicians, I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you, and no mystery is too difficult for you. Daniel was raised up in the kingdom because he was a humble follower of God. The the humble are promoted, the proud are humbled, and they praise God when they're humbled. Verse 34, at the end of that time, after seven years of living like an animal, I raised my eyes toward heaven and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. We know this this principle runs through the New Testament as well. God gives grace to the humble. Are you living a life of humility today? Are you able to take advice from God and others to follow his advice from his word? Are you living a life of pride because James says that God gives grace to the humble, but he opposes the proud. If you keep finding yourself in a place where it feels like God is is not blessing what you're doing, one possibility is that you're living with pride. We need to humble ourselves. Two more chapters briefly. Chapter five, because God is holy, I will live with reverence for him. You guys remember the story? Nebuchadnezzar's grandson, Belshazzar, had taken over. He orders goblets from God's temple in Jerusalem to be brought out of storage. And he and his friends drink at a party out of God's sacred goblets. Belshazzar was killed and the kingdom was taken away because of his irreverence. He learned a couple lessons. Chapter 5, verse 23. God holds our lives in his hand. It's an important lesson for any of us to learn. 26, he numbers our days. Verse 27, he evaluates our deeds. Verse 28, he gives and takes as he pleases. We see these truths in the writing on the wall. They're having the party and this hand appears out of nowhere. Verse 24 says, Therefore God sent the hand that wrote the inscription. Meany, meany, tekel, parson. Here's what these words mean. Meany, God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. God numbers our days. Tekel, you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. He evaluates our deeds. Your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. He gives and takes as he pleases. And as I look at that, I, I can't help but go immediately to our need for a Savior. 
527, when we learn again that God evaluates our deeds, if any of us are honest, we know that we fall short, just like Belshazzar did. We can fight it, we can suppress it, we can try to ignore it, but we know in our heart of hearts. That causes us to run to Jesus, to claim his promise that Paul talked about in Corinthians, that he, he took our sin upon him to pay for it, that we might become the righteousness of God. When we realize that we will stand before God and there are two choices, he will condemn us based on our sin or he will accept us based on our acceptance of a savior. It's humbling and it ought to lead us to action. The impact on his children, again, confidence and promotion. Daniel walks into the king of the land and says, you're about to be taken over. Talk about boldness. He, he wasn't afraid of this king. He, he, he worshiped a higher king. He walked in there confidently and the king ended up giving him rewards for it. He was again promoted. But for Belshazzar, this mighty king, we learned that this truth about God brings terror and destruction for those who reject him. This bold king in the middle of a raucous party, you remember the verse in chapter six, his, his knees were knocking together when he saw the writing on the wall. Verse 22 says, but you, Belshazzar, his son, Nebuchadnezzar's, have not humbled yourself. Though you knew all this about God, instead you've set yourself up against the Lord of heaven you had the goblets from his temple brought to you, and you and your nobles, your wives and your concubines drank wine from them. You praised the gods of silver and bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand, but you did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. Then at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was clothed in purple, a gold chain was placed around his neck, and he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain, and Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. You see the contrast between his children and those who reject him. Final chapter, verse chapter 6. Because God hears me, I will live a life of prayer. This was uh, just last week. Basically, we, we learned that Daniel obeyed God rather than men, and God, God rescued him. Verse 26, he is the living God. He endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. What impact did, did this have on his people? Daniel believed this, but it didn't stay up here. His children prayed to him asking for help. You remember verse 11? After the decree had been issued, it says, these men went as a group and found Daniel what? Praying and asking God for help. How do you explain that? When there's a death warrant out for anyone who does that, because Daniel knew everything in that left column. He didn't care what anybody said, what circumstances said. He believed that, so he prayed. Another impact, his enemies are destroyed. His children are rescued and promoted, and again, they praise God. We see these three in verse, starting at verse 24. At the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and children. Before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Then King Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language in all the earth, may you prosper greatly. 
I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. That's where we've been in Daniel so far. And I want you to look again at the six main ideas. And again, none of us are going to take all of this home with us, but are there one or two or three areas where God is speaking to you through what we've seen in this first half? Are any area where he's looking to grow you, to change you, to, to use you? It's got to be a connection between what we've learned and what we're living. I want to throw out a simple tool that someone showed me one time that's a, that's a good way when you're reading through Daniel or any passage of scripture to say, God, what are you saying to me for my life today? It's called the, the speck model. He used that word speck as a model of how we let God do his work in our own hearts. He takes the S and he says, when you read a passage, the S stands for sin. You ask God, is there any sin in this passage that you want me to avoid? Then there's a P. The P is promise. God, is is there any promise in this passage that I just read that you want me to hold on to? E is example. Is there an example of someone that followed you and that I should walk in their footsteps or an example of someone that didn't follow you and I should avoid how they lived? C is command. God, is there a command in this passage? Like go and make disciples. That's a, that's a big one that I should follow. K, is there knowledge in this passage that I need to retain to transform my life? The spec model is a great tool to take God's word from the page, from your head, into your heart and the power of the Holy Spirit. Now looking at chapters one through six, there's something for Daniel. As you, as you look at the second half of the book, it becomes these prophecies about the future, seven through 12. One through six is all about Daniel's past and present, how God worked in his life. And for Daniel, I wanna propose that the reason he had such confidence that what God said in 7 through 12 was going to happen was because he had seen God work in chapters 1 through 6. He had looked at his own life and he said, man, I saw you keep us healthy on vegetables. I I saw you give me what Nebuchadnezzar dreamed. I, I saw my friends in the fiery furnace. I saw a mighty king humbled. I saw an empire change hands like you said it would. I saw myself saved from the lion's. Of course, I'm going to trust what you say about the future. So as we prepare for the second half of the book, here's an idea I want us all to carry out of here. True for Daniel, should be true for us as well. Because God has kept his word in the past and the present, I'll trust him with the future. See, it's a good thing to look back at our lives, especially at uncertain moments and say, man, I don't know exactly where all this is heading, but I can sure look in the past and how he's looked in my life, and he has always kept his word. I'm going to trust him as we go into the future. One author said this, Baldwin. He said, in the first part of his book, the writer presents the situations out of which his theology has grown, and the lessons are plain for all to see. It is on this firm theological understanding that the revelations of the second part of the book are made. 
And we're not going to spend six weeks in the second half of Daniel. We're going to spend two. Our hope is to give us a hunger for the prophecies in that part of the book and to, to create a saltiness that would cause a hunger where you would dive in deeper. But what we're going to do is next week during prayer week, we're going to look at Daniel chapter 9. Chapter 9 is a, a prayer that, that we're going to walk through and we're going to teach. And, and we're going to look at this prayer Daniel prayed because he looked at God's prophecies. He knew that the 70 years that God had said they would be in captivity was coming to an end. And he began to pray in response to that, God, please do it. Please do it. And, and that's a great lesson. Prayer should be in response to what we know of what God does. And then in two weeks, we're going to highlight some of the key prophecies in chapter 7 through 12. We're going to look at how God gave Daniel information in advance about the rise and fall of empires, empires that have already come and gone. He's going to give him information in advance about the end times and the Antichrist. He's going to give him information in advance about resurrection of the dead, Jesus Christ, his first and second coming. We're going to see that there's a prophecy in there that we believe laid out a a specific timeline for exactly when Jesus would come and die. And we look back through history knowing that it came to pass. Most importantly, his his unshakable kingdom. And our hope is that it will instill a confidence that what God says will happen will happen because that's how it's played out in the past. And I think our response today to the, the feast that God has put before us in the book of Daniel I mean, what what a great book he's given us. Our response ought to be what we read in Hebrews 11, verse 28. Since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. Father, we thank you for this book because we need this book. A lot of ways that just looking at the news every day, Humanly speaking, we live in very uncertain times, but nothing is uncertain with you. This book gives us confidence, and and I pray that it would change the way we live, that we wouldn't live timid, ashamed lives, that we live lives of power. We trust you and your ability to rescue us and and promote us, be it in this life or the life to come. Uh, Lord, I ask that you'd speak to us and show us where you want to grow us. And prepare us as we look to the second half of this book to just be excited. Because you've kept your word in the past, we'll trust you with our future as well. Lord, we trust you with the financial gifts that you've given us. And we ask that even as we take our offering this morning, what we give would reflect it. We trust you completely. And we know you've got our lives and times in your hand. May the singing that takes place in this room right now be an expression of gratitude for the truth you've given us through your word. In Jesus' name, amen.